today I thought we'd, I thought we'd, um, I thought we'd talk about, well, at the one project, I should say, we, we broke it up into three different sections, um, Jesus and politics, Jesus and theology, Jesus and um, belonging. And I, I pulled a short straw, I guess, and I got to talk about Jesus and politics. And so I thought I'd talk about that today as well. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about politics, which I know you're never supposed to talk about in polite company, religion and politics. But um, as we do religion, we're going to talk about politics. So we'll just destroy that thought. Um, preaching through an election season in the U.S. has become a bit of, of kind of learning how to thread a needle from the other side of the room. Um, rather, so rather than talk about our politics, I thought I'd talk about Jesus's politics um, and the politics that he espoused. And, I, and so we're going to talk about the politics of the kingdom of God. And the politics of the kingdom of God are pretty profound. And we're going to study them by studying one of probably your favorite stories in Scripture. It's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 found in the book of John. So all the synoptics speak to this story. We're going to talk about it in the book of John. It's John chapter 6, verses 1 through about 15. And so if you want to follow along, we'll be studying from the New Living Translation um, as it begins. So it starts like this. After this, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Now, um, it says after this. So what was going on before Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was doing ministry, and so now we catch him on the other end of um, Israel, essentially. He shows up on the far side of Galilee. Today, what we would call kind of the hotly contested Golan Heights is where Jesus was. Um, but what we can see already in this first sentence is that politics, the politics of Rome and the politics of Israel, are playing a pretty heavy role. Oh, I was supposed to do something. Um, if you can scoot in, a lot of people are standing in the back. So I, for, I totally forgot, and then I saw you all standing. So if we can scoot in a little bit, there's seats up here, seats over here. If you've got some seats next to you, raise your hand. Um, we just want to make sure people can sit if they want to. If you want to stand, because as they say, sitting is the new smoking. Do you know that? <laughs> no, that's what they say. That's why I have a stand-up desk, because um, I'm not smoking. I'm standing. Um, anyway, as you know, there's politics that are being involved here. Why? Because, well, he mentions the original name, Galilee, right? That's the name that most of us know. We understand that that's the Sea of Galilee. It's the original name, and most people knew of it this way. However, by the time that John was writing, the name had changed a bit. Why? Because of politics, right? Politics make different things happen. It's politically expedient to name something after a ruler, by the way. It makes them feel good. It makes them feel important. It makes them feel good about their position. And so politics, the politics of Tiberius, the Roman politics, are the reason why they renamed it. So they renamed it Tiberius, the Sea of Tiberius. And by the time John was writing, which remember was much later than the other gospels, things is kind of settled in. So what he does is he uses both names to be politically correct, and he uses the old name and he uses the new name, and to be inclusive and to make sure that everybody knew what he was talking about. Now, John chapter 6, verse 2, says that a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now, it says that they kept following him. So, so Jesus was never alone. Wherever Jesus went, people were following him. And the reason why they were following him is because this man was living in the abundance of God. And this is an important note. They were there with him because of the abundance that they saw every, every time he was around. Because healing is abundance, which is really important. As he, as he healed people, 
they saw the abundance of God expressed. As he, as he walked with people and he taught with people, he saw, they saw the abundance of God expressed again and again. Because healing is abundance and love is abundance and compassion is abundance. And I'm saying abundance a lot, so get used to it. Then in verse three, it says, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down. So he went a little further away, sat down with his disciples around him. And it says it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Now, the reason why he tells us that it's time for the Jewish Passover celebration is twofold. Number one, he wants us to know what time of the year it was. But number two, this is actually kind of an Easter egg, right? If you know what an Easter egg is, you're watching a movie and you see a reference to another movie, that's an Easter egg. Or if you're playing a video game and there's a reference to another video game, that's what they call an Easter egg. This is what the author was doing because when he talks about the Passover, what he wants them to understand is that this story that he's about to tell, it's a story of provision. It's a story of God providing just like he did in the Passover as well. And so there's a little bit of a foreshadow that's happening there. Then again, Jesus sees a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip. He looks at Philip and he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, there's a reason why he chose Philip. He chose Philip because Philip was from Tiberias. And so Philip might have known where we could buy all the food or all the bread to feed all these people. But then the author gives us a little note in there in verse six. It says, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, that doesn't seem very fair. Why is he, why is he testing Philip? Well, he wanted Philip to, he, he knew that Philip was thinking in a certain way. And he knew that Philip was thinking in a scarcity model, right? He knew that Philip would say, we don't have enough. And he wanted them to understand something that they probably, you know, kind of did understand pretty well. The idea that there's simply not enough to go around. And so Philip replied in a very practical way. And he says, listen, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them all. And, and when that happens, there's this, there's this nervousness that comes up. There's this anxiety that comes up. When you don't have enough, there is anxiety for more. And there's anxiety that you, you don't have enough, so you're not going to be able to take care of people. We have this anxiety every time we do our Easter services and we do the Friday night service. Because the first year, like 150 people showed up. We had a ridiculous amount of food. It was ridiculous. And then the second year, like 400 people showed up. And we didn't have nearly enough food. And I remember talking to Becky Matico and her team, and I'm like, hey, people keep coming. It was a one time in church, I kept praying to Jesus, like, Lord, they don't have to come. <laughs> they can stay home, they can relax, they don't need to come tonight, Lord. It's Good Friday, they can meditate on, your, on your, uh, the gift of the sacrifice that you made, but don't make them do it here, Lord. And they just kept coming, they just kept coming. You know, somehow the food you know, lengthened, it stretched so that we can do it. But, but, but Philip's answering this with anxiety, right? And this is the truth that the politics of scarcity, it always leads to aggression because when you don't have enough, you need to get more. And so you go and find ways to get more. Martin Niemöller, who was a, a pastor for the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Germany, he met with a group of pastors with Hitler in 1933. And Niemöller kind of stood at the back. He didn't say anything. When he went home, his wife asked him what he had learned that day. Neil Moeller replied to his wife, I discovered that Herr Hitler is a very frightened man because Herr Hitler was saying we don't have enough, so we have to go into other lands, we have to go into other nations, and we have to take what we need to protect the motherland because that's the politics of scarcity. I don't have enough, I need to go get more. Going back to the text, then Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, listen, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves, two fish. But what good is it with this huge crowd? 
Let's focus in on that last text. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Again, that's the idea of scarcity. Scarcity says I don't have enough for everybody. Therefore, I don't have enough to go around. Therefore, I don't really have anything. Therefore, I better hold on to it because I'm the only one who can take care of myself. That's the problem with scarcity. We see the disciples falling into the trap that is too human. It's too easy for us to fall into. We don't believe that we have enough. And by the way, this comes from the idea that we expect so little from God. But to be fair, we expect so little because we are so used to not believing that we have enough. We are told every day that if we just had a little bit more, we'd be fine. If we just had a little bit more of this, or if you got, you know, if the thing that you have got upgraded, listen, I experience this every single time I step onto a plane. You've heard me talk about this before. And what happened in February, I've been gold for a long time. In February, I got knocked down to silver. That means I load, I, I load with group two. Group two. I've been group one forever. I'm now in group two, and I, we were flying back from the one project, and Sam Lenora changed his flight, and uh, we're, we're going together. It was really, it was nice to be able to fly with somebody for once, you know, I don't get to do that that often. So we walk, and I'm going, and I'm like, oh, I'm group two, I gotta go to group two, and so I start going to the group two line, and he's just like lingering over in the not quite in a line section. Because, you know, you've got group one, and those are like the people who know how to travel, and so they're there early, and they're ready to go because they're group one. You've got group two who are like, don't really know what's going on. You've got group four, like those people don't even know they're in an airport. <laughs> they're like, maybe get on a plane, get on a boat. I don't know, I'm going somewhere, right? But then Sam's standing over here. He's standing over here and like the, I'm gonna get on before all of you. I'm gonna get on before the disabled people, <laughs> the people with children. I'm gonna get on before all of those. You know who you are, you people, you're just sitting back like, Sam's standing over there, and I'm like, oh, you're not going to, and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to go over here. I'm like, oh, and then he's like, yeah, I, I got upgraded. Oh, you got upgraded. And then he did something that was just offensive. He goes, well, I mean, if you, if you want it, you can sit in my seat. It was a, it was a pity upgrade. Are you kidding? Just, just disrespectful. I'm like, I don't want your pity upgrade. He's like, no, 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 no. And then he's like, well, you can come in with me to the plane. You can come in with me. I'm like, okay. So like they call, you know, you know the, the only people we like. I think that's what they call it. I think that's the group. The, we, we only like you. And so he goes in. And I'm, I'm like walking in there with him, knowing I'm not supposed to be in this line, right? I'm group two. I'm walking in there. Get to the front, oh, Mr. Lenore, so good to have you again. I come walking knowing, I like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to beep, it's going to say I'm not, uh, beep, beep. And she's like, oh, you're group two. And Sam's like, he's, he's with me, he's with me. And she gave him that glimpse like, are you sure? Are you? Because he's not, he's not with you, doesn't have to come with you. And he's like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay, man. See, but that's what happens. You think, and then, then this is what happened. We get on the plane. We get on the plane. He's like nine feet ahead of me. He's not that far ahead of me. I'm in row like 10. He's in row like seven. He's like 10 feet away from me, but like a, a world apart. Like he sits down and they're like, oh, would you like some water from, you know, a real glass? 
And they look at me like, could you move? <laughs> no, it's horrible. And you know, Sam's, you know, he's sleeping on a pillow made of feathers and gold. You know, they just keep jamming the, the, the cart into me. Uh, uh, sir, get out of the aisle. Oh my God, this is the chairs. It's a half a chair. I can't, I'm not. I get sick. I'm sick. I got sick on the flight. The air was fetid. Look it up. Sam's on the same plane. He doesn't get sick. They have different air up there. He got a little sick. Good for him. No, it, no. We feel like we need, we need more, right? We don't have much, so if we get more, if I just get that, it'll be better. We expect so little from God because we've been told that everything else, you know, the politics of scarcity is always on the hunt for more, more money, more power, more influence. The list goes on and on. What don't you have enough of? That's what Martin Niemöller, this is what he said in the middle of the German war, in the middle of World War II. He says, what does it matter how we look in Germany compared to how we look in heaven. He asked these questions because he realized that even the religious people were falling for the fallacy of more, the desire for more land, more industry, more safety. And that's the myth that Hitler sold them on. In fact, I'm gonna quote from Mein Kampf, and I know that's weird to do in church, but this is the thoughts that Hitler had about the situation. He says, if nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger. She wishes even less that a superior race should intermingle with an inferior one. Because in such a case, all her efforts over th uh, hundreds of thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher state of being may thus be rendered futile. But such a preservation goes hand in hand with the inexorable law that it is the strongest and the best that must triumph and that have the right to endure. He who would live must fight. He who does not wish to fight in this world where permanent struggle is the law of life has not the right to exist. Think about the differences in those politics. The difference between the politics of scarcity and the politics of abundance. And by the way, we're set up like this. And if you don't believe me, maybe you remember this phrase, I cut, you choose. You ever get a candy bar when you were little and your sibling's looking at you? And they go, all right, I cut, you choose. Because then you know it's going to be fair, right? There will be a ruler that will show up quickly. And if you grew up in a good Adventist home, you didn't know when the next candy bar was coming. Because <laughs> chances are your parents didn't give it to you. Somebody else gave it to you who didn't know. And they're like, it's okay. Your parents will let you have this, right? <laughs> it's fine. They don't care. Oh, yes, they do. And so you take it and you take it to your room and your brother, you know, your brothers or your sister, and you'd be like, I cut, you choose. Okay, where's the ruler? Somebody get out the ruler. <laughs> to the millimeter. Am I right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And if it was a Snickers bar and a peanut fell out of one side or the other, you knew which side it fell out of. <laughs> right? We played this when we were younger. We need to make sure that things are fair and equal. Well, Jesus has to deal with the scarcity economy that they're dealing with right now, Right? There's no way, no matter how long we work, that we can make enough money. And we've got this little bit, but it's certainly not going to go far enough, so we don't really have anything at all. Jesus says, listen, tell everyone to sit down. And they do. They all sit down on this grassy slope. And then we get into numbers, right? The men alone numbered about 5,000, says John in verse 10. Let's look at that number 5,000 for a second. 
he, he did something. He tells everyone to sit down. And, and this 5,000 men, it, it's, it's not enough. There were more people there. I mean, come on. We had Pharisees. We had Sadducees. But we also had like the sick and the lame. We had Romans because you're not going to put this many people together in an oppressed society and not have the police force show up to make sure something doesn't go on right? Romans, the dignitaries that were there. There would have been children. There would have been women. He tells them all to sit down. There would have been this group called the Amha Aretz, which literally translates as the unwashed masses. It would have been just the common folk that are around. They said the numbers that it probably would be were 15,000 to 25,000 people. And Jesus says, hey, everybody sit down. Then Jesus takes the loaves. He gives thanks to God and distributes them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Jesus gave them a command because he knew he had that kind of authority. And when they all sat down, they all recognized who was hosting this party. It wasn't them. But think about how that would have gone, right? Think about Jesus, however it was working, however he's multiplying these loaves and these fishes. And he says, he says to the disciples, hey, go feed the lame over there. And the disciples are like, you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah. They don't get food often. Why don't you go feed them first? I bet they're really hungry. And so the disciples walk over and feed the lame. And the lame are like, no, 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 you can't feed us first. We haven't been upgraded. Right? We're not in the gold line. We're not in the 1K line. No, 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 you guys are hungry. Let me feed you first. Go feed, go feed the Roman soldiers. Go over to feed the soldiers and... The soldier's like, you know, we're not really part of, part of this. You, you don't like us that much. And it's like, all right, you must be hungry. You've been here all day too. And he's feeding the Amha Aretz. Hey, take one, pass it on. There's going to be more. Don't worry. There's going to be enough for everybody. Just keep passing it back. Just keep passing it back. What do you think the dignitaries felt when they got fed just like everybody else? Jesus has this way of going, oh, there's a hierarchy, but I don't really see it that much because it seems like you're all kind of hungry. How about I just feed you all from the abundance of God? The politics of abundance are vastly different than the politics of scarcity. You know, even our theology can be about scarcity. We have a theology of scarcity because we only look for ourselves in Scripture, searching for every word to see where we show up. It's a theology of scarcity because it doesn't look for what is actually abundant in Scripture. You know what's abundant in Scripture? Theology. God is abundant in Scripture. And when we find out it's not about ourselves, but it's about God, things change. In fact, it leads to something very different if all we're doing is looking through Scripture. And you've heard me say this before. It leads us to meology. It's when God seems to like us a bit more than other people, agrees with us more than anyone else and leads us to having a corner of the market on truth and, a, and the fastest ticket to heaven. And listen, even if others will be there, we know that we're still the chosen, we're still the remnant, we're still the only. I'm not denying that there's a remnant. I just don't get to think we get to choose who's in it. God does that. You see, the problem is we have a scarcity setting and it's our default setting. We all have a default setting for scarcity. If you don't know what I mean by default scarcity, Chances are that the majority of us who own iPhones, if I made my phone ring right now, you'd grab for yours too because you never changed it from that default ring that they put on. Right? I know that's true because it happens sometimes here. 19,000 people reach for their phone. We have a default setting and scarcity is our default setting and there is no benevolence in scarcity. 
So here, after everyone was full, Jesus tells his disciples, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Why gather more? Oh, because in, a, in an abundance economy, not only is there more, there's always overwhelmingly more, and there's always more that you can give away. And so they got it so they could distribute it to, to whoever else was around and to other cities and other villages that might have been there. The politics of abundance are always the politics of compassion, mercy, justice, equity, and benevolence. But make no mistake, friends, the act of believing in abundance is an act of revolution. It is countercultural to what everyone tells us, to what the world tells us, to what the politics of scarcity tell us, and we're always involved in the policy, the, poli the politics of scarcity. It is countercultural to our human and sinful nature. You know, the first sin was a sin of consumption, a sin of more, a sin of scarcity. Even though in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness, let us make man. In Genesis 3, the snake tells Eve, God doesn't want you to be like him. So if you eat this, you can be more like him. It's a scarcity economy. And so Eve takes the fruit and says, well, maybe now I can be more like God. When God promised her that from the very beginning, it would be at the core of her DNA. So what do they do? They picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And people didn't know what to do with this, right? They look around and they say, this is this is incredible. This is unreasonable. The abundance of God is so overwhelming that that that." I guess this is the prophet we've been expecting. So he's the guy, he's the one. He's gonna get us away from this scarcity politics that we've been living in. But when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. The reason why he did that is because an abundance economy is an, is an economy, it's a politics of downward mobility, not upward mobility. You don't do it so you might get something, you do it because God has given something. And when we live any other way, we don't believe in the abundance of God. Because when you live in the abundance, you realize you have enough. Even if it's only two fish and five loaves, it's enough. It's enough because God is gonna make it into whatever it needs to be. We think abundance is about more. Abundance is not about more. Abundance is about enough. Scarcity, that's about more. And that is the worst way to live because you will never be satisfied. But when you live in abundance, when you live in the abundance of God, you are satisfied every day. But I gotta tell you, it is a revolution to live into that. It is so hard to live into that. Especially when you're looking at the precipice of not knowing what's next, of not being sure what God is gonna grant you and God is gonna give. And it's easy for us to, to, to lean into what we can do and what we can fix and what we can make happen. And I gotta tell you, you, you know, we're on the precipice of that as a crosswalk church. I said a few weeks ago that we were gonna meet with our new landlords. We did. They have not given us their proposal yet, but we expect it to be significantly higher than where we are right now. And this is not a cheap place to be. 
So that means we gotta trust in God's provision for what's next for us. And I don't know what that means, honestly. It may end up being better than I thought, I hope, but it may be unreasonable for us to stay in these buildings. And if that's the case, then we've gotta figure out what God has next for us. And do you think that's scary? Because it is. Because when we look around, we go, oh, there's not enough places. There's not enough space for us. There's not enough. I... But I preach abundance and I believe in abundance. I'm not afraid of what God has for us next. I'm nervous, but I'm not afraid. Because in abundance, we believe God provides. And every moment that you walk into this church, God is providing you. God is providing you as provision for what's next for Crosswalk Church. Again, we, you know, it may all work out great and we're here next year and everything's great, but I don't know. I've, I got this sense that God has something spectacular for us, but not without pain. And that's all right. Because as long as you continue to walk into these doors, you are the abundance of God for us. And we can weather any storm when we believe in God's provision and when we lean into God's provision. But it is a revolution because it's easy for us to figure out a plan and see if that plan works. We're gonna wait and see what God has for us. And we're gonna move in that direction. So your prayers are coveted, but more than anything, your presence is a gift because you are the abundance of God in our lives. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for another week to come and praise you. Thank you for songs that people write out of the abundance of their heart. Lord, the fact that we sing what's written here is amazing to me. Lord, thank you for every single person in this room and that have been in this room today as they come and not only grace us with their presence, but commit to this ministry not only give out of their abundance, but also find joy and, and grace amongst your people here. Lord, whatever is next for us, and, and I'm excited to find out what it is, we're gonna just lean into your provision, lean into your abundance, and not get caught up in the scarcity that there's not enough. You have enough for us, and we know that you do, so we're gonna lean in that direction. Lord, thank you so much for being a God who is willing to give more than we could ever even ask for. Pray this in your holy name, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.